ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get done for eSports! Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show that only slightly more lives up to expectations than the Dallas Fuel. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Seven, with his delayed reactions to my awkward openings. It's always like a, it's like a 10-second reaction as it just like comes over your face slowly. It wasn't. It's not. It's not a ten second reaction. It's like I try not to bust out laughing, or I'm holding the mute switch down, uh, or just hanging my head in shame. So, uh, yeah, man, brutal opening. Brutal opening. Like, but true. We. <laughs> yeah, sadly, but it doesn't mean you have to be that mean. Well, they're never gonna listen to this. Never gonna listen to this. Maybe. And when they do, you know who's gonna be on your doorstep? Seagull. That's fine. He can be. He'll probably miss me anyway. He tries to kill me. Give you a hug. He'll miss you. (laughs) All right. You're not letting up. I'm going to stop before you dig yourself an even bigger hole. So there we go. Uh, The Dallas Fuel fans will never like me. Oh, man. But we do have a big show this week. Uh, Jules Scott's going to be joining us later to talk about the NAHGC season, including uh, the power rankings. We get Hanzo for the first time. Hanzo mains are coming to HGC. Uh, we also have Blaze coming in the second week, so we'll talk a bit about that as well as the uh, caster changes that came out today. Alex Magdaleno from Bleach Report Esports will be joining us at the end of the show to give his way too early predictions for the NALCS Spring Split. We're going to talk about uh, yet another major sports league getting into esports. A little bit of Hearthstone, but first, the aforementioned Overwatch League. So week one of stage one took place this past week. And before we get into the action, we got to talk about our favorite side of things, the business side of things, and touch on the viewership because day one was pretty awesome. 415,000 concurrent peak viewership across all language streams, which is pretty damn impressive for uh, day one of the Overwatch League. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, Now, the big question is whether or not we'll see the same thing on, you know, week four or stage four you know what i mean like it's it's how far will this carry i don't know uh i think they did a solid job uh from what i saw in the vods i didn't get to watch much of it because i was traveling to pack south uh or doing my thing but um catch up on the vods was was cool um and it, it looked quality yeah, it went off Congrats. pretty much without a hitch. Um, yeah. I did see, and I have not seen full concurrent numbers for day two and onward, but I did just anecdotally looking at U.S. stream numbers, they dropped off pretty significantly. We were seeing in like the low 200s on day two, and by the time the week wrapped up on day four, things were in like the low to mid 100s on the U.S. stream. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture, and you know, I think we see this a lot, generally speaking, when numbers are higher. 
um, people, there was a lot of people, if you looked at the Twitch chat, just there looking for their freebies, not realizing there weren't any freebies, and a lot of just, like, you know, spams looking for random commands that are supposed to bestow you with skins and other stupid stuff that happens on Twitch. But um, <laughs> now, that being said, Twitch has already come out, and Overwatch League has come out and said there will be opportunities for those. And there is some reality to the opportunity to get random drops, certainly, like, drive some viewership numbers. But... Well, like you said, will we be looking at this in week three or week four? I, I'm doubtful, but I think if you look at you know random NALCS spring split matches, they're fairly low too, right? Like I think for an inaugural kickoff day to get near 500k concurrence, it bodes pretty well. Where it'll be really interesting to compare is when we start to get to the one-off like you know world finals or season championships or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them and see how they compare across other esports um because this doesn't even come close as what e-league that broke the record with like over a million concurrence at one point so there, there's certainly larger esports out there but overall the most technically sound kickoff more so than i would have even imagined like right. there was not a ton of technical timeouts they didn't have to fill tons of time in between matches it overall went off without a hitch and you know kudos to blizzard for being able to pull that off because i have not seen that pulled off by anybody who has a hell of a lot more experience at it than this overwatch league team does but overall i think it turned out well well, and if you look at it, they, it went off without a hitch, and we're not talking about like one day's worth of tournaments. This was, uh, you know, this is what four days worth of stuff. Yep, four days worth um, of stuff. So yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So yeah, it's it's great that they were able to pull it off. Um, I the irony of some of it here is that day one had started with two of the worst blowouts. Uh, oh man! Uh, and, and to keep that momentum, I think that's largely because you had probably one of the most anticipated ones at the tail end of that day, which was the Fuel versus Dynasty. Yep, and yep. which ended up being a really solid match. Uh, yeah, up until like maybe the last map, but it was good. Um, yeah, I mean, both LA teams won with blowouts, which, to be fair, is pretty good for them from like a local viewership standpoint, because right. this is all taking place in LA. There was a good amount of LA fans on both sides, so far more for the Valiant, I think, um, than the Gladiators, as far as like people that showed up in person to watch it. But, you know, yes, blowouts were not great, um, but it's also like gave LA a boost. And like you said, the Soul dallas Fuel matchup we'll get into here in a minute um, overall like was, was a good matchup. Um, the regionality thing, interesting. I, I, I think... Once things got started, and we talked a bit about this on last week's show, but I keep hating that we're calling it regionality because it doesn't actually matter. People just found teams, adopted them, and supported them, and I think that's great. Like The regionality piece, you know, if that's one of the reasons that you chose that squad, that's great, but the Premier League's super popular in the U.S., and nobody has any regional ties for the most part to any of those clubs. They pick them for different reasons. That doesn't make it any better or worse, in my opinion. Yeah, but uh, to... To counter that, though, I mean, a lot of people chose it because of they they were living in those towns. And that's fine. But 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 all those, especially now when people jump on to teams, it's because they have a history or their players are there and they've got a history. I I think that the differentiating piece here uh, on this is it's all new and there's not a ton of well of history or things known about some of the players. So there is a lot of uh, people just jumping into teams. Or following that weird video that they had where you just hit pause and that was your team uh, <laughs> as they like flip through all the different yes. logos. I mean, there, there are those, thing, those things, which is why yeah, we were talking about you've adopted Spitfire. I'm still uh, You're a closet on New the York fence. fan. I, 
I it's ironically it's between like Dallas and uh, NYXL, and I blasted NYXL's logo at the beginning, thinking like it was the worst. But now that I see, it, it's like that's oh, actually kind of cool. It works out well. It just all has um, to do with pine. It's kind of hard not to just love pine. And well, what he yeah, dabs, whenever you just you yeah, really, the dabs yeah. is great. But I, I think a lot of it is I'm still trying to find the team with the. Uh, you know the either the, the characters or, or the the, the people that I like. Not that it speaks to me, but it, you want to be able to like get behind certain players, right? And so Dallas Fuel has a lot of personalities. I really like the Outlaws. The thing is, I I hate Dallas Fuel's colors and I hate NYXL's colors. Like those are the two that I dislike probably some of the most. Um, and I love the Spitfire colors. I love you know Cloud Nine and Jack. Like that's great. Um, but the other problem is, is when you jump in, you're like, I want to be with this team because of personalities. We've seen CSGO, right? That whole team could be wiped at the end of the end of, yeah, you know, the year. And, and it remains so now, to be like, seen how that'll work in Overwatch League. But yeah, it's that's right. certainly part of it. Like, what do you yeah. do if what if you like fall in love with Pine and then like he moves off to a different team next season? Like, what do you? Well, do? I mean, we run it. We run into that a lot with with you know premier league and soccer and just any other league right people kind of move around but in some cases there's regionality and you like people a lot i just think like there's it's less accepted to we're, jump we're talking traditional sports teams though. well yeah we're, but we're also talking esports which has like you know the a 10 percent retention rate <laughs> rate right like the only thing that gets retained is maybe the colors at the end of the year so and hopefully mayhem will if the mayhem didn't have the worst logo of all of the universe i might jump on board there uh because i, I kind of like their skins at least um i don't know i mean i'm torn because i i, I liked some of the personalities on uh, um, philadelphia fusion which is uh you know interesting i didn't expect that no i didn't know what to expect with fusion no one did. uh yeah right and i like fuel and uh yeah, I don't. I, but I don't want to bandwagon and jump on fuel. Fuel feels like the bandwagon, right? Well, they're owing too, so you have that as an excuse not to be bandwagon. Th- that's true. I didn't make my decision until they were basically the the. They're the, the best Cleveland, worst Cleveland team Browns. In the run. <laughs> the yeah, Browns. <laughs> but I, I think it was interesting, and I, um, Money Cristo I think called this out on the stream, which I thought was awesome. Which is. People, for some reason, got super obsessed with regionality not being okay or not being a thing because the players on the teams weren't from those regions. But, like, that's not a thing anywhere. So, it was, And he kind of called people out for that. Where it's like, yeah, we're super – like, I can't like the Dallas Fuel because the Dallas Fuel have a bunch of people that aren't from Dallas. And it's like <laughs> – my, my favorite part was everybody starts – in the uh, the Fuel Dynasty game, like right at the start, everybody starts chanting USA, USA, because you can't do that. There's one USA player on the Fuel. It's kind of kind of funny to call him out, too. So you think overall, like the people are getting behind teams. It makes a lot of sense. I'm all for it. Like, screw calling it regionality. Like, pick the team for the reason that you pick the team. It could be regionality. It could not be, it could be players, whatever. People are getting behind their squads. That's awesome to see. So overall, like, thumbs up just getting them behind teams. Um, I, I think focusing on the regionality portion is probably just rot with failure. Um, casting overall, like give it like a solid B plus. Um, I think it depends on who we're talking about. I think overall, like the desk was solid. Uh, the casters were, in my opinion, great. Like there's a couple of missed calls here or there, but quite honestly, like giving a the frantic nature of Overwatch and B, like the casters are so reliant 
on the camera to see catch what's going on like it's kind of hard to put it on them and when they did miss like they were pretty good about going back and catching those things so i thought that was awesome um you could definitely tell the people who'd spent more time in the overwatch world versus the ones who hadn't quite yet like uh with crumbs i think is his name that came from league of legends clearly like somebody that i felt like is a little bit weaker but overall i think it was great um it's a pretty large team, just like generally speaking. Like if you take like analysts and the different casting teams, and like it's a pretty large amount of people doing it. But overall, the quality was high across the board. I didn't, I didn't find it got in the way. I didn't find anybody like particularly annoying. Um, they are given like the extra task of having to hype up the crowd, the people on the analyst desk. So um, that I'm sure is a little bit stressful at times. But overall, I think it worked out well. Yeah, I think the hyping of people was a little annoying. Uh, but they don't have a choice, the, right? Like, they're forced to do it. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. I'm hoping that they can kind of sort of get away from that because it was, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the crowd really got behind a lot of certain clips, you know, when they did replays uh, yep. or moments. And I think casters uh, in general can do that. It's just when the analyst desk, desk tries to get it all hyped up in the middle of it for no reason. I know. They're like, okay, like, we're about to go to a break. But first, how do you think about the fuel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's it's not an easy job uh and i'm really i don't know i i don't feel comfortable commenting on how well or awful they did in uh, if unless it was like super standout-ish yeah um overall i didn't really have any like you know bad uh, bad experiences with it i didn't think i didn't notice anything too terribly wrong no no there's a bit of drama people getting like super worked up about the diversity or lack thereof of the talent again which I feel like we revisit constantly, yeah. and it turned into this whole like, do we think these people are subpar versus better people? And like, m- poor Malik Forte gets randomly like pulled into the discussion, and Michelle gets pulled into the discussion, and like somebody from MLG put like contract negotiations with Malik on blast on Twitter. There's just like a lot of like unnecessary. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't want to get too much into it because I, I haven't done like my due diligence to like research all of this. But basically, somebody from uh, people call it out like, why don't people like Malik do it? And obviously, Malik's been doing a lot of stuff for Blizzard or Michelle, who does like BlizzCon. And somebody on MLG said, you know, the, they were working with Malik and his people basically like turned down the deal that was on the table, which I thought was like something really weird to just put out there on Twitter and like, yeah, that's not cool. That's no, not, not cool, cool at all. Not cool at all. It was, it was the whole thing was weird. And Michelle's like, yeah, like she goes, I couldn't have done it even if I wanted to because I've got other projects going on. Right. Um, they do have Zoe there. Or Zoe, I can never pronounce it exactly the way. Yeah, it's I supposed think to she be. goes Zoe. Yeah, yeah, and she she does a great job. I thought she was awesome, both on the analyst desk and as kind of like the the I guess what you call it, the interviewer or whatnot. Um, it's not an easy problem to solve, but it just, it kind of detracted overall. Like I just thought it was like not maybe the right time to try to bring that up, especially since it's very like happenstance and on Twitter and yeah. And there's there's one thing I think they fixed it a little bit. Uh, they have one of the casters when they cut to like the the caster the shout caster like two two shot mm-hmm. uh, where they kind of stand against a backdrop. Uh, one of I can't remember his name. He's actually really short. Oh yeah uh, yeah yeah. Yeah, they had uh, him on a box that one time, and it looked super awkward looking. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, let the man just, just be, him be short. a let little be short, short, right? Yeah, Because yeah. he was casting like his, with he was casting with Doa, and like Doa's pretty right. tall, so it looked yeah, it was just like. Very... I mean, I get putting him on on Apple boxes, what it's called, and, and, and I get that, uh, but but when it's super <laughs> obvious that that's what you're doing, <laughs> it was just awkward because like day one they didn't do it, and then day two they did, uh, and this was in uh, preseason. Yeah. But they, yep. I, I it. 
didn't stand out that it happened this time around. The one thing I do find, um, my one commentary, at least on the uh, commentators or the analysts, is that sometimes I felt like post-match breakdowns were too short. They cut them short. Yeah. Um, it was like, here's like 60 seconds about what we think of that. Here's a replay cutting to commercial. And and I, I like the uh, analytical part of it a lot. Yep. And when they kind of break it down and they talk more of it, like when they went through and they started showing like, you know, Dynasty and, and the, how they basically created like a crossfire on, on Anubis and how that basically countered uh, and won them the game, but countered the the fuel with it and like that. And when you start like drawing on the map, like that is just cool stuff. Uh, but when they're like, yep, that was fun. He's way better on Lucio than I'd ever be. And then, Oh, here's a replay player of the game. And yeah, there wasn't break. like the I'm level like, of, mm-hmm. an, you know, analysis that you'd expect. And they, it's interesting yeah. because I, I get part of their problem. Like they're, they're deferring a lot of that, even though I like, I don't think it was ever done to the level that you described, which I, I think is great. Like YouTube has does a wonderful job of backfilling that, but they, they have to, they have a pretty large break. That they have to fill between t- matches, right? So they have to, they go quickly in between games, but when they need to swap over to the next match set, they have a lot of time to fill. So then they're like trying to go back and like analyze the entire match in that like 10 or 15 minute break with why the teams swap over. And I get like why they don't want to add a larger break in between games as well. But I, 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 it's not that I think they're doing a bad job. I just think there is so much value and so many people interested in that deeper analysis. I'd like to see them do a bit more of that. Like go, even if they throw it back to the casters and the casters have like four or five, you know, clips pulled out, they're doing like right. drawn on the map and that level of analysis. I think Monte Cristo is amazing well, at that level of analysis. And I think it'd be yeah. great to leverage him for that type of stuff. Well, and what this does is this this gets people who don't necessarily know the game very well. Uh, they aren't, you know, high end players, high ranking players. Uh, it, it allows them, uh, the casual people or a casual viewer, to understand what is going on more so. And so, as time goes on, that knowledge gets retained, and you start to understand the game a lot more. So, when something yep. happens, or uh, you know, uh, they they go specific comp, you start understanding why they're going to a specific comp. Why are they taking high ground? Why are they splitting? Like you start gathering or understanding some of these nuances. And you become, you know, more of a fanatic about the game. And so I think it's important not to cut that piece short uh, because that's how people learn this game. Yeah. Uh, the one gripe I do have about this is as a casual viewer or, or someone, even me, sometimes I'm like, why is this team? Why, why, did, why did this go four matches? Why did this one go three? Like if you look at some of the score lines, the format's all a little hard over. to follow. Yeah. The format's hard and you need to simplify that because when you start going through and you start ranking things, it's like, well, why did this team get ranked? Why are they lower than the other team, but they still won two games? You're like, well, they only won three rounds versus whatever. But that's not clear. Like, even if you look at, like, the score lines, like, I was thrown off. I had to step away halfway through the Seoul-Dallas matchup, and I came back and I looked at the final score, and I'm like, is this not updated yet? Well, (laughs) you know what's crazy? If you watch it... Seoul didn't even know that they had won. Yeah. There was like like at least three or four minutes of them sitting there, like not even realizing it. And I think the fuel were like standing up, waiting for them to come over. And they're already like looking at the computer, like queuing for it, kind of just like silent, whatever, not realizing that they just fucking won. And yeah. and so that is proof yep. that things 
this format's not 100% working out. It's like, why is, this, it... why is this 2-1? Well, it's 2-1 because they went to a fourth map, but then they tied on the fourth map. And if they tie on the fourth map, then they don't play out to actually see who wins the map. But map score matters, but then it doesn't matter. Like, it's... it's like, <laughs> what? Like, I don't understand you got, what happened. You have to simplify. You have to simplify. And I think... Like, uh, even if you're even if you're choosing you know like assault versus a control map versus a high map whatever you want to do like i understand that the map pools can be different and therefore if you're doing the best of 5 what 3 queue up front could make a difference um maybe that's the reason i just i just feel like it doesn't make a ton of sense to make some teams when when you're looking at it some win you know 40 some win 1 2 and you're like how is this possible? Yeah, <laughs> some, because some you, win like three two, and it's like okay, right? Well, because you're right. The, the map matters because some maps allow for a tie, and other maps don't allow for a tie. So that adds some confusion to it. And you, so it's not even as simple because, like, I wanted to explain it as you have to win by two, which is also not true, right? Because <laughs> you have this weird like best of four, but really bad. Like, can we just make it a best of five? And just leave it at that, like it, it's. But it's because yeah. you allow draws on on the control maps, right? Like you can you can have a draw on a control map, and that's. What if you if you made it best of five, I don't think there was, but maybe one, one game uh, this past weekend or this past week that would have actually gone longer, right? Yeah. All of your games would technically have been maybe even a map shorter, right? Right, which uh, I think is okay. I believe it. I totally believe it's okay. I mean, if you look at um, total numbers, like yeah, Seoul Dynasty would have had uh, in Dallas would have had to play one more. Shanghai and San Francisco Shahak, it would have been less of a total one sided blowout because it would have been zero three, not zero to four. Um, But everything else, like looking at it, uh, there was only again the blowouts are less of a blowout, and that's all you would have changed. Like. And again, there's some tie-break scenarios like that. that we're not spending the time to think about, which is why the system exists. But the point is, is it's so opaque to the viewer um, that it makes it hard yeah. to like grok what's going on when you look, you look at results. The other thing, a minor gripe, and then we'll move on to actual uh, gameplay, but one other minor gripe I have is I love the in-game stats that they kept throwing up, except if I don't hardcore follow Overwatch League or Overwatch Professional, and because of the stats section of the site doesn't work yet either, is 32% accuracy on Roadhog good or bad? There's no context, right? I don't, I don't understand what makes good or bad accuracy. I don't understand what is good or bad eliminations or healing. Right. There's no context compared to like... Cause this, and I was actually surprised by this because even the in-game stats you get when you finish a match do a better job of giving you context. Like, this is better than your mm-hmm. lifetime average. Or something well, they do in Heroes of the Storm is players like you average 90% and you're doing 95%. Good job. Like, we need that, especially in this case. Like, the average through day one on Roadhog is 25% accuracy, but this guy's doing like 32% accuracy, so he's amazing. Like, that's... Yeah. Well, what I, what I, I, I agree. Um, one of the things that I did really, really like, and it only hit about uh, nine hours before we recorded this, was they, they threw up another article called By the Numbers. So it was Overwatch League One. And in the article, they actually go through and they, they pick out some of the, the key percentages. And they kind of dive into it a little bit. And I like it. It's like, this is the kind of analysis that I would love to see post-match. Uh, and they did it in a... 
Um, they did it in like a blog newsy kind of way. And so what I really thought was crazy about all of this, uh, was, uh, dream Casper's, um, uh, for Boston uprising, his, the, the recorded league best chain hook accuracy of 87 and a half percent, which is just ridiculous. Yep. Um, I'd love to see, I'd love to see us get these either on the fly or like you said, even a post game analysis yeah. would be better. And, and I think some of that will, will come. It's, it's week one. You can't expect production to be a hundred percent on. I mean, there's a couple of production flubs, but to start throwing things like that together on the fly, production needs to get more comfortable with what they're doing. And I, that will come. That you mean will come randomly as, as, when like a match showed the wrong teams playing for like half of it. <laughs> uh, what I loved is when they had like the wrong player with like the the wrong name like up on the screen, or it would like uh, what, one of the times it actually jumped in with some of the stats that was like mid replay and just flashed back out, and then after the replay, it showed the stats. Uh, so there was just some some queuing issues, but. Uh, I mean, the fact that I can only maybe point to just a handful uh, yes, in the so. amount of production is just solid. Yeah, I, yep. I, I'm not bashing them. It just it's going to take some time, and they will get comfortable. They'll get better. Then you'll start getting more stats. You'll start yep. having more statisticians. You'll have more stats to show, like versus week one. And, and so, I hope it. it, it I'd just be happy better. if the dev team got the stats section of the site working, so that I could. Go and do my own analysis. Yeah, yeah. I, that's just the nerd me, though. But anyway, well, you know, they were waiting on uh, they were waiting on that uh, broadcast rights thing, uh, <laughs> which nobody knew it was going to be Twitch until oh, down man. to the wire. Surprise! To the wire. <laughs> oh man! So let's talk, speaking of surprises, let's talk about some of the surprises from this week because there were quite a few of them. Let's start with the aforementioned fuel. So we're talking about a team in the Dallas fuel that was already like a high quality team coming out of Apex that added more players, including the likes of Seagull, back into the mix coming into the Overwatch League. So expectations were pretty high for this team. And to be fair, they are much much better than their O and two record signifies. The matches that they were in were good matches, and a lot of people will hold that Dallas Fuel Dynasty matchup as the best matchup of the week, and I would largely agree, though the Fuel, like, there was clearly some mistakes that allowed it to go on, and if you look at some of the, there's, like, Your Overwatch, one of my favorite YouTube channels, like, did some really good analysis of this matchup that actually showed Mm -hmm. some of the flaws in it, but overall, like, see the Fuel at 0-2, Going into a potentially tough second week, they have the Spitfire, who are 2-0 and currently in week two, as well as a rematch from the preseason, I guess the Houston Outlaws. It's certainly not an easy path forward for them, but I think it's not too absurd to say that like nobody would have put money on the fuel coming out of week one at 0-2. Well, no, I, I think you would have put maybe pegged them as, be, as being one and one, right? Or if you're um, super bullish and think that they were going to pull a surprise on the dynasty, but I agree. Like, I, I don't. I was surprised at how well they handled dynasty in the first two uh, maps. Like even Anubis was just pure insanity. Uh, some of the stuff that they were pulling off in Anubis was just uh, amazing. I mean, they were just they were going in really heavy with like really bulky man. They were doing like all like three tanks just coming right yep. down the middle. Uh, and totally At one point, destroying sight lines and like it, Dynasty couldn't do anything. They they were what was it like four minutes and something left? Dude, there was six, six minutes right. and fifteen seconds after the first capture on Anubis, and yes. the casters were joking because the Dynasty had like four fifty in the time bank, and they never thought that they would view that as mediocre. <laughs> amount of time in the time bank anubis was like i mean that's to say and this was a theme we saw throughout the week but especially on anubis but generally speaking 
very attack-favored matchups on these control point maps. Very much so, which was fun to watch to a certain degree, but nobody playing the defense. It was like the freaking NBA. <laughs> there was there was yeah. no defense yeah. to be played. Um, dive comps were all over the place. But as you mentioned, like this was a not even anti-dive as much as it was just like, oh, we're going to throw some big-ass bodies in your face and see if you have what it takes to bring the tanks down, and they didn't. And that's yeah. how you ended up with like six minutes left plus left in the time bank after one capture. But it was it was a pretty intense matchup. It was it was disappointing from a fuels fans perspective to see how they played far better than that O2 record indicates. And it sucks to be involved in the best matchup of the weekend and to be sitting at the bottom of the table with the likes of the Shanghai dragons. Well, and if you also look at the junker town against the, uh, the Valiant, I mean, eight, seven, I mean, that went on for days. Again, yep. you got, uh, the horizon lunar holiday map two against Valiant five, five. Right. And so, uh, when you look at it, uh, they were the ones that they lost. They lost by one until you get to the very end, and then they just kind of like throw it out the door. And, and I feel like some of Dallas's problem is just a being in the right mental space, and I think that can be fixed. I also don't know if they the swapping of players is helping or hurting them because right. they they did swap out Seagull and I can't remember who else they swapped out for like. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly the, the match. They, they swapped out two right after the first map, uh, and they were really dominating uh, the dynasty to begin with. And so I wonder how much of that is, you know, you're on a roll. And I say I know comps, and maybe you're not. You don't have the best character pool uh, or hero pool, whatever you want to call it. And and so, but but swapping out, I feel like you lose some momentum there, right? You were just playing right, with this right. team. You were just hot. You were just rolling. You're coming off of a win against the dynasty. And then you decide, well, we're going to swap out, you know, a, a third of the team. And and I don't know how well, it, especially when you look yeah, at the Dynasty, is... who changed, made no changes. Yeah, and that's what's tough, because a lot of the reason why the Fuel, like, were excited about bringing Seagull in is they viewed Seagull as plugging some of the holes that they had in their hero pool. And he did a good job of that, but I, I agree that like they did lack a little bit of cohesive strategy. They did lack what seemed like a, some communication problems. If you look at some of the analysis out there on that map, on those maps that you pointed out in particular against uh, the Dynasty, you definitely see where they could have done better. Now, the good thing about that is, is there's clear things you can point to that they can do better, and they seem like relatively simple improvements from a pro player that can get them over that edge. So it's not like we're all sitting here going, I have no idea what happened, or so many things went wrong, I don't even know where to start. But I agree some lack of cohesion definitely hurt them a bit. But I think they knew that going into this. Like They are not going to be able, in my opinion, to get through an entire series with just one set of people, because if they're forced in some of those picks that they have players that are weaker, and whether it's the Tracer, whether it's the Farah, like those are the times where we saw them needing to swap out. And that's part of the reality of having these flex players, right? These people that can come in and play your junk rats and your Farahs and something that you're not going to play on every single map and may not be in everybody's hero pool is necessary. And that's why they got Seagull, and they're going to need to swap them in and out. But they didn't seem to have a good base under them. Nor And when the team's dynamic and ability to execute changes drastically, when you switch out players, that's when it's a bad sign. I think that's what you're describing. Is It's not necessarily that like one player is better than the other, but it didn't feel like the same team and their execution from one swap to the other didn't feel consistent. Right, right. And and I think maybe some of it's map-wise, right? If you look, they got blown out both times on Elios completely. And I'm wondering if they just... Uh, 
because I I don't know if there's like a notable. I just was watching them just get destroyed on Elios. Um, yeah, and they were just getting booped into the well all the time. Like it was just brutal on well, and so I I think some of it may be map. Um, it could be that they're not changing up the, the right comp in the map. So I, I guarantee you will probably see a different lineup for Elios. We we should because this whatever lineup they use this time around lost both times, and I'm fairly certain it was the same on each uh, because they they ended with the same teams, and so. I, and I believe they struggled on Elios in the preseason as well. So yeah, it's, they've, it's they've got surprising. to figure out something with Elios. Uh, and, and on the the flip side, you look at um, uh, the Outlaws, which I feel like should have been doing better. Um, they struggle with just the, the their character pool. They're not great with dive comps, and that was kind of ruining them as well. And so they're really good when you get them on the, the, their characters, like they're just like known for. They're really really good, and they tear it up. Um, but they have the opposite problem here on Dallas Fuel. I think they just they maybe have some some map issues and personnel issues for the right people. It's not that they lack the depth; they lack putting the right people in <laughs> on the well, map. They certainly don't lack helps. the depth because they're rocking ten people on that roster. Right. So right, exactly. It, it's so, interesting. Um, Another big surprise, yeah. I think, we have to talk about is your uh, new future team, the New York Excelsior, because. This is a team that is only going to get crazier. Pine was the meme factory of the weekend on his Indeed. McCree. Yeah. Holy crap. And I will say, like speaking of the Outlaws for a second, there was an amazing Widow duel on yeah. Ilios yeah. between Lynxer and Pine that was just insane to watch some of the picks that they were getting on each other. It was just, just you could just watch that all day. Like the Pine's ability on McCree and Pine's ability on Widow is just unmatched. You combine that with Sabiobi, who was playing some ridiculous Tracer that allowed McCree <laughs> to have the space that he needed when Pine was on McCree. And let's not forget that in May, this team adds Flower. Yeah, it's only going to get now, I don't ridiculous. Know. Can triple DPS be a thing? Well, I think it can. If it can, New York XL are going to be the team to pull it off. And I'll be interested to see how they balance that because we are getting a lot of shared pool here because obviously Flower known for his ridiculous Widow play at the uh, or Widowmaker play at the uh, World Cup. We'll see how that plays out. Well, but New York XL impressed. Yeah. So you you talk about that third DPS spot. You joke about it, but they technically had it because Jonak uh, on Zenyatta. Actually, was the <laughs> forgot that he was supposed to heal because he was just too busy owning people in the face. Exactly, he was. If you take his actual DPS over ten minute courses, uh, ten minutes, uh, he was at the seventh highest DPS player, and he's on Zenyatta, right? And so what happens is, is it it does this. It's kind of the theory of like the best defense is a good offense, right? <laughs> and 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 so if he's already softening up the targets, right? It's almost like having an extra DPS player. I mean, his uh, Zenyatta play adds so much extra damage to the comp. It softens up targets. It allows his teammates to take them down faster. And faster kills equals less damage to the team, equals more time spent doing damage. It's not hard maths. It's an equation that has to be dealt with. And he yep. actually did more damage than healing as Zenyatta. Yeah. Yep. And so you you joke about a third DPS. They You'd be adding a fourth. <laughs> can you could just imagine this makeup with Flower? And I don't know that they could actually pay, that they would go through and play with all three of them in 
But if you had the triple DPS plus the Zenyatta play, it's pre- their flexibility is what should scare you at this point, right? Like it's not that we think they're going to play this weird like three, really four DPS comps. It's just the fact that like oh, Pine's office game, no big deal. We'll f- throw flower in there. Okay, everything's fine. Like they're going to be ridiculously scary come May. But right now they look really damn good. They're sitting at the top of the table at two and zero with the rest of the squads that went undefeated in week one, and. Yeah, overall, like I was far more impressed with them than I was expecting to be. And they've, we'll get to see. I mean, they go up against the Valiant, so we're going to get to see which one of them is going to be a pretender come Thursday when the two of them square off because the Valiant is also looking strong at 2 and 0. And then they go up against the other LA team and the Gladiators on uh, Saturday's game. So overall, impressed where Excelsior will be, and we'll have a much clearer picture where both them and the Valiant sit coming out of Week 2. Other thing I think is worth mentioning is we finally got to see the Philadelphia Fusion, um, as we made quite a bit of fun of, and as Comcast shut our showdown for a month. um, The Fusion did not make the preseason due to visa issues, and for a team that like had to scramble to get together, had a lot of roster issues because the roster issues didn't just like fix themselves right after the preseason. Like no. getting everybody to the U.S. and <laughs> getting the ability to scrim and play like was a pretty ongoing thing for the Fusion throughout the break between preseason and the start of the first stage. But they looked pretty good, like not great, but more impressive than I would have expected. If you look at say the toll that the Dynasty, who did get to, or sorry, not the Dynasty, the Dragons that did get to play in the preseason, have still struggled with their lack of practice time the fusion brought it together a lot quicker than the um shanghai dragons were able to yeah it's it's insane that they're actually able to pull a lot of it off i mean uh they've got nine different company companies uh, sorry not even companies uh the beer hello beer uh nine different countries represented in their team and i believe even like i think it was like uh fraggy was saying that he got in like two days before the tournament yep. or a week before yep. the tournament. like not a, a ton of time and so they uh, the fact that they haven't had a bunch of time on LAN to play is very impressive, uh, the, at least going one and one, because they, they dropped a Spitfire. That was kind of assumed. But yeah, it was also. That, they got rolled. <laughs> it was almost assumed that they would lose to Outlaws as well, right? And they didn't. They took them 3 no. 2. And that's yeah. a solid showing. You know, now Shadowburn, I mean, granted, he did have a huge carry. I mean, his Farah uh, is, is super impressive. I mean, I think at one point he was like 25% of the team's damage just on, I think it was like Oasis. I mean, his hero pool is so deep. Uh, he even broke out uh, Zarya at one point in time. He's uh, definitely the carry on that. Uh, Fry Guy's uh, really, really good on that Winston and that dive comp. Uh, he's able to kind of split teams up. He's able to catch off, uh, catch a lot of the, the, the squishy targets as they're trying to retreat. He's just... He has no problem with jumping over everybody and taking out the, you know, the the McCree trying to run through a doorway and, and find cover and hide. Right? He just, yep. he's like, I'll eat you for breakfast. Um, <laughs> and and so Carpe was actually, uh, I think he's one of the ones. He's kind of like that um, that uh, hidden player that I don't think a lot of people paid much attention to. But uh, well, I guess they didn't have too much attention to be paid to. He, did, he didn't play in the preseason uh but his tra- tracer is uh, really really impressive I mean, he was he was 125 kills to 31 deaths he had a 20 kill streak at one point in time and every time it came down to one-on-one he was just just dominating just dominating yeah. it was impressive and so when you have i think they that, only go up from here yeah i, I really I, do like i think they're, they're they're a solid contender i i i don't think they are top end right that's no no bit no, fire no, game but, but i i i think they're 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 top of the mid pack, I guess you could say. Like they're like for a, sure. 
a five team. Maybe. I, I think maybe they have a six. shot to be in those teams. That, they're not going to win their division by any stretch, but I think they have a, a decent shot at, at eking into the playoffs. And like you said, they got rolled by the Spitfire. I think they yeah. only managed to take two win two rounds off the Spitfire in the first map, and then it was like blanks the rest of the way. So they, they certainly have a ways to go, but it'll be interesting. And there's a lot. I mean, looking at the week two schedule, we're going to get to see. I mean, this is, I think, our first opportunity, unsurprisingly, in week two, but uh, our first opportunity to really see who's for real and who's not. We have Valiant, who have to take on both the Excelsior and the Spitfire. The Spitfire go up against the Fuel. And Fuel, as we mentioned, also have to go up against the Houston Outlaws. So there's some opportunities to find out how for real the Spitfire, the Fuel, and the Excelsior, and the Valiant to a certain extent, are also going to be. I mean, probably the Valiant have the scariest-looking schedule going into Week 2, but we will have a much firmer idea of who's really good. The interesting part is the Dynasty have the Mayhem and the Boston Uprising, so they've got a pretty easy... Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that win streak continues this four, week. They'll definitely be 4-0 at the top of the table. Whether they'll be alone will be uh, what's interesting to see coming out of week two but those games kick off as you're listening to this um on the day that you're listening to this on wednesday and the definitely the matchup to check out i think is probably going to be that philadelphia fusion shock matchup because they are both the, you know solidly in the middle of the pack i think dynasty rolls the mayhem and more than likely the outlaws are probably going to roll the dragons as well like i've been very unimpressed with the shanghai dragons up to this point so a uh, question for you any any standout players for week one who would have your your MVP, or maybe, I don't know, maybe that that, that person who carried a team or did uh, exceptionally well, maybe not quite even expected. I I hate to do this because it's a cop-out because I've been talking about it the whole time, but Pine carried New York XL through some pretty sticky situations. You look (laughs) at some of the VODs, and given... He get, his team gets a ton of credit. They set him up to be carried. The space he got on that McCree in some of those matchups was insane. In that Boston matchup, there was no reason he should have had the space that he had. But that being said, some there were just times where like I don't even know if he was human. Like there was this <laughs> there was this like there was this flash bang onto a tracer roll into yes. Clipping her before she got the freaking mega health, health pack. pack. Yep. It was just like, what did you just do? Like, how I, did that happen? Yeah, I, I I remember looking at that clip and being like, I don't even, I didn't even notice that the the tracer was even there, and he was like no. on it mid blink, pinged it. Yeah, it just it she was blinked just again, and he rolled, and boom, like. I don't, before yeah. I even realized the shot had registered, he was already looking away to another target. Like it was just he just knows where they're going to be, and that's what's really impressive. Is it's not like he puck, right? <laughs> he doesn't even like follow them. He just puts it where he he just puts the the hit scan where he knows they're going to end up being, and he and he's knew, right way he, too often. Boom. Yeah, it's it's just a matter it's, of like okay, wait for them to move into my like into my crosshairs, and it's done. So I. I, I agree that that Pine did really really well, but I, Pine ended up being uh, in some ways the respect sub. I think they they maybe even joked about right. Like he didn't start off a, against the outlaws, right? But when Correct. you bring him in, that's kind of when they're like, okay, cool. You've maybe put enough pressure on <laughs> NYC. So yeah, that we're okay. We're ready to play, and so it, it it's kind of you know you've maybe gotten a little bit under the skin when they bring him in. Uh, I don't know how true that is. 
but it's uh, he is he's solid. Um, however, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to go with Fleta under uh, for the dynasty. I okay. think uh, he was really really clutch for for dynasty on Genji. I mean, his Genji play is just terrifying when he comes at you. Um, <laughs> I think at one point in time, Instant Death Dragon Blade. By on, the way. I think it was maybe it was on a was it Numbani. I can't yes. remember. I think where he no, caught- it was on New Bonnie against the fuel on the second point, in which like I'm pretty sure he single handedly just like kept that point up for like two minutes. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, the, the crazy part is like you know he's his positioning even like on Anubis as Widowmaker was solid. Uh, he's the reason why fuel dropped that last round yep. because he got in behind them. And they're all focused on the point. They're all trying to sit on the point. And he found the angle, and nobody could touch him because they're all one after another after another. They, yeah, well, they they chose like the the three loaves of meatloaf kind of comp, and just said, "I'm going to just throw giant bodies on there." Well, guess what? Giant bodies can't hit a widowmaker who is back at like your your starting. I know, point he was getting picks out of the spawn on that point. That like yeah, it's, it's just, like oh, I think they're gonna hold. I think they're gonna hold. Nope, I'm just gonna pick off three in a row. As they come out of their spawn point, and that's going to be it. Yeah, so I think Fleta was actually uh, someone who I hadn't, ha- hadn't pegged as, as being uh, the person who would carry as much, not the biggest name, and I think when they needed uh, that, that clutch person, he was definitely there. I, I would yeah. give it to him. He was oh, he was just scary, because there was times when he wasn't even... He, w- he was kind of sort of dying easy, but he was dragging people around with him that was causing them to lose focus, and then yep. what would happen is is he would die, but he allowed his entire team to kind of come back. And then yep. once he came back, he would just rip everybody. It was like a five kill. And it's like, Jesus. And, and he happened? was like actively stalling. Like it wasn't like your throw May ice block right, trying to get right. some time off. Like he was like, no, I'm just going to be really hard to kill. Or I'm going to make sure that I pull you off the point or that I pull that you spend enough time on me that, oh, and you turn around, there's three of my friends like waiting behind you. He was stalling. Yeah, he, he was he was a huge part of how they were able to bleed so much time off in that last round off of fuel. Fuel had a good amount of time left in the bank on that last attempt, and he bled a good minute or two on yeah. his own out of that bank. I so, mean, if they're, if I agree not, with that. If they're not chasing him, he's slicing through him, and that's what was scary. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So overall, as you can tell, we're super stoked about the Overwatch League, and it was a successful week one. I'm looking forward to week two. I think we got some great matchups, so definitely make sure you check those out. Moving on, let's talk about. Some more traditional sports getting into esports. And this is one that, like, was not even on my radar. Like, it's not even something I think we've ever discussed. But the MLS here in the U.S. has gotten into esports in a fairly big way. We're going to get the EMLS Cup that's going to take place at PAX East in Boston coming up in April. This will determine both the U.S. and Canadian qualifiers for the FIFA E World Cup that will take place, I believe, starting in August. 19 of the 23 teams from MLS will be participating, the only teams. And some of these are a bit of a surprise to me. That will not be participating is Atlanta, which kind of blew my mind. DC, that's supposed to be the second home of esports, right? When they when they invested in right, energy, right. that they throw all that money in there, um, and then the new LAFC, which doesn't surprise me, given that's a newer expansion team, and Real Salt Lake, which is you know probably a weird market to try to do it in. But I don't, given the commitment that they're actually asking for here, I'm surprised there was anybody that didn't get involved. But um, each team will be required to come up with their own way of selecting their player. They can multi- they can have multiple players, but ultimately only one player can compete in the tournament. Um, and so we have no information beyond that. This will take place in FIFA 18. Um, 
it sounds like I imagine this is going to be a multi-year thing, but they're only talking about this first year. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, how does this compare to the e the e league NBA two K not e league initiative um, that is also out there, and some of the stuff we've seen with Madden as well? It's good to see them get into this, but you know, it, it's definitely dipping a toe as opposed to a whole foot. Yeah, it's much more subdued than we saw NBA two K jumping into it, right? And I think one of the the changes here, or the, the pieces you have to kind of watch, is with I think some of the NBA stuff you're looking at filling an arena or doing something in an arena in terms of gameplay wise I think that's a long term vision of it right yep. whereas uh, you know you look at a, a soccer pitch and it's not really conducive to like an esports location uh, and some of these outdoor stadiums and such and so and NBA was also looking for something that kind of filled up that long gap between seasons right and so with MLS, uh, especially with all the additional stuff that goes on, like the different cups, there's not really a ton, ton, ton of downtime. There's what, maybe three months tops. Yep. And, and so it's not really uh, clear whether or not this is going to be like, oh, we want to fill the gap in the December month, because that's when really, you know, soccer's hot in the rest of the world is when yeah, MLS is not going is not yeah, and esports is not going to distract me from the Premier right. League. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, and, and it's not. And MLS is the, is the distraction from the Premier League, right? So that, that's – I'm just kidding. I'm actually a season ticket order. We're good. We're good. But um, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, there wasn't – was it clear or not whether or not the players were actually – forced to use the team that they're technically under or are they allowed to make their own teams none of that was none clear that at was all really and i don't discussed. yeah yeah and i don't and, and i don't think they'd want to because to me that puts them in a like if we talk about just like the mechanics of fifa as a game for a second here like if that's the case you're screwed because there's no way that the way the players are built and rated for an mls squad that you have any chance of beating even a, a slightly less skilled player using barcelona or manchester united in well, the game itself right yeah. Right, and I wonder if they're going to restrict it. I'm assuming they're going to restrict it so that you could only use MLS teams in this. But even so, that, yeah, I mean, but that, that, that but that's only. But remember, you qualify for the FIFA E World Cup, which means you then need to go to this World Cup with your MLS squad to play against people using Premier League and and oh, La Liga teams, right. and so that only yeah. that's fine and dandy for within the actual like you know whatever the hell we're calling this the EMLS Cup, but like after that. So I don't know how it's going to work, and it's not as clear as like we're. And we talked a lot about this when the NBA 2K E League came out, and they were talking about how we're going to like normalize the teams, and it's going to be based on the players, them the the esports players themselves, as opposed to I'm not playing as LeBron or playing as Kevin Durant. You and I had mixed feelings about that, but that's at least like fair from a competitive standpoint. We're here, like you know, if I get LAFC as my team, for example, versus like somebody getting the Sounders that's a little bit harder right and we'll get even worse as the disparity between the real life teams grows when they get into the e-world cup so i don't know we don't we have none of the details this is all conjecture i'm happy to see mls get into this i i'm i do squint at like what the purpose of this is other than to say me too um you know we're i'm we're in right. esports too go us um I'm, because it isn't it isn't necessarily as large of an initiative as we've seen out of some of the other leagues i'm excited because uh seattle will get an esports team I, I was I was like, if they're not on that list, I'm going to just c- conclude that no one thinks that esports will work in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> I think that, I think there's even a Penny Arcade thing. Yes, like, how yes, in the hell yeah. is there not a Seattle esports Overwatch team? You can't throw a rock without hitting a, a nerd here in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, it's just 
yeah, it surprises me that somebody didn't buy into that. And, uh, or maybe you know. they tried to, and they just couldn't. I mean, there was a lot of rumors <laughs> yeah. about some some blown deals near the end. So maybe they were the the mythical fourteenth team. I don't know. But yeah, overall, EMLS, it's a thing. It's coming in April. Um, we, or at least one of us, will probably be at PAX East, as there always seems to be the case. We'll see if that happens this year. But we'll be able to check this out at said PAX East Boston. So, uh, I guess now I have to go. Yeah, now you have to go. I'm pretty sure that I will be at some dorky wrestling event. So you have been nominated <laughs> to be our EMLS correspondent because I will be at WrestleMania. Anyway. Uh, last thing I want to get to real quick before we head to the break, let's talk about the Hearthstone Championships taking place in Amsterdam. So you got the opportunity this past <laughs> early morning hour morning. Yes. <laughs> to uh, interview some of the players. What's your general take? Like You've seen some deck lists that have come out now. Um, we kind of know what the groups are, though you apparently picked your uh, champion before you saw what the groups were. But overall, like, what's your take? What are your thoughts heading into this? Uh, we haven't had a we haven't spent a whole lot of time on Hearthstone, and it's been kind of, in my opinion, um, unfairly sidelined, at least from our coverage standpoint, because of their decision to move this out of BlizzCon and make it its own separate thing. But now we get to focus on it solely. So, what are, what are your thoughts after the interviews and seeing what you see going into this tournament? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of interesting narratives that are, that are going on. I mean, I think in this tournament, uh, Europe is very, very, very strong. Um, but one of the things I, I find interesting is that you've got ex-teammates in different groups. You've got Muzzy in Group B, uh, formerly of uh, Luminosity Gaming, which broke up, in, I think, in like mid to late August. Uh, and then you have Frozen, who won, I believe it was America's Winters, and that's how he qualified. Uh, Muzzy came through last chance qualifiers, if I'm correct. Uh, Muzzy's just a freaking workhorse. But the interesting part here is that uh, Muzzy and Frozen were both on Luminosity Gaming. Muzzy was largely responsible, at least credited quite often, uh, for doing a lot of the deck building and tournament prep. Uh, for LG, that includes things like the uh, the Trinity series, uh, where you had LG as playing as a team, right? And and so uh, seeing them break apart it sucks, as with like you know Virtus Pro also breaking up recently. Um, but uh, you know they're now in different groups and they have the option of going against each other. And I got a chance to talk to Frozen a little bit about. Uh, you know, how did you prep for this one? Because your usual prep partner in the past for tournaments has has been Muzzy. And so he did work with a couple of different people. I think Fibonacci was mentioned, uh, mostly because he was trying out a lot of stuff with uh, Warrior, Control Warrior, which he didn't end up bringing. Uh, he felt like he didn't have enough time on it, and it was a really complex deck, and really <laughs> it's just a... The sole part of the deck was just to like make you concede because you've gained so much armor that it's just impossible to win at that point in time, and it's just a boring game. Uh, but so I'm glad he didn't bring it. But I think uh, of all the uh, the the deck lists and the the people, I think uh, ha- after having talked to several of them, uh, I think I spoke with like Muzzy, Frozen, um, who else I speak with today, Doc Pone and Calento. Uh, I think Frozen has probably one of the smarter lineups. Now I know there was a, there was a a whole thread that was trying to statistically figure out who was going to win their group and who had the best decks to win, so on and so forth. And that Muzzy was the winner in that. Um, and I think Muzzy is actually in probably one of the strongest groups. I mean, you got Jason Zhao, Samuel Sal, and and Calento in Muzzy's group. Like that's just I, that might be the group of death. 
but I think in, in Group D, which is is uh, where Frozen's in, he's got Surrender, Omega Zero, and Nyria. Uh, all great opponents. I, I think it's stacked. I think this whole tournament is really, really stacked. Uh, Do you feel better about this one? I mean, you and I have talked in the past about how this format has made it hard to bring like some big name players that are well known into the fold, but it seems to be not the case as much with the world championships as we've seen maybe in some of the regional tournaments in the past. No, I, I think it's uh, I, I think this year the way the tournaments were set up, uh, and I, I as I joked with uh, Calento, I was like, hey, and I kind of knew the answer going into it. So it was kind of a loaded question. It was like, hey, you've returned to form this year. Last year, you missed out on world championships. Uh, you, you struggled in some tournaments. What do you accredit that to? And his credit, he basically credits like, well, there's less RNG now, right? <laughs> like, I, it's, and, and Kalento isn't known for being the best deck builder, but he's an amazing pilot of any deck you basically give him. One, someone asked him, like, what, what's your weakest deck that you consider? Like, what's your weakest class? He goes, I don't have one. And I love the answer because he's such a funny. He's like, there isn't one. Move on. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> Stupid question. Next. Yeah. Yeah. And so he he's solid, um, but he's not known for, like, building the best decks. He just knows how to play. And so it, I feel like you can put any deck in front of him and he can make it work uh, above and beyond what you would expect. And so, yeah, I, it, and I mentioned Frozen's deck list. I think he has one of the more creative deck lists. He actually was uh, some practicing with someone out of Brazil who had a different druid makeup than most others. Uh, and he's the only one to bring uh, a control mage. I think Stanudachi brought a big mage, maybe. Uh, it could have been Sintelol, maybe. I can't remember 100% who did that. Um, but there's only two mages in the entire tournament. Uh, and Frozen has one of them. And I started playing that deck list today, and I love that deck list. It's so much fun uh, because, well, I don't say it's fun. You basically just control the board for the longest amount of time, uh, and I made the mistake of, of having this, like, the quest up where you have to, like, do 100 damage to your foes. And I kept playing, testing this deck out, and I, realized, I get to the end, I'm like, wow, I only did four damage, and I won that one. It's because they would just instantly <laughs> concede, because they're like, there's no way now. There's no way for me to win. You've got Jaina out. You're healing yourself. You've got, like, 30 armor. You're stupid. I hate you. Concede. It's just like, yes! This is why Mage sucks. No, it's... And 30 armor is jumping the gun. But it was it's crazy, because you just exhaust them, basically. And uh, you get to a point where you just win. And I think he's going to do incredibly well. He's so uh, set for being an anti-aggro uh, lineup and uh, and he has the ability to kind of turn it on when he needs to with his druid. So I I, I think that's I, I he might be my favorite now. Although I chose purple, I'll, I'll confess I chose purple to begin with. I think purple is a great contender. Um, but when I chose, I couldn't see groups. I don't even know if groups were out yet. Uh, so, but I just chose him based on that. And I think he's got he'll probably make a run of group C. I think he'll do well. All right, so. Do you yeah. think then who's going to win it then? Your actual pick or I think my frozen, actual pick pick might be Frozen. Um, okay. Frozen's interesting. I so having met him in person and interviewed him now multiple times, it was like today that he he reminds me of Hot Meowth in a couple of ways. Right, Hot Meowth looks like <laughs> I just met him this weekend. Like he he always seems like he's stoned. Like, you just don't get it. Like, he seems like one of those people who's... But he's incredibly intelligent, and he's a great player. He's very intuitive. Uh, and Frozen... Frozen kind of comes off as... Not stoned, but he comes off as... As maybe he's a little aloof. I think in even the Trinity series, his, his 
best quote of the entire Trinity series was like, do we just dome him? Do we dome him? But he was like super tired. Like, well, is there any point in time? Do we just dome him with Starfire? And they're like, no, that's the worst play ever. Stop asking. He's like, so we don't dome him. Like he was just, but at this point in time, it's like three or four in the morning for him. He was just out of it. Um, But he is like, he's a a statistician when it comes to all of it. And and he does so much research into his decks. Like, finding a deck from some random person in Brazil and, and testing it with like, that's, that's going into some depths, right? Even if it's only a two card change or whatever, it's, it's super impressive. So I, I might, my guess now is that frozen will take it. I still think purple gets a top four, but I think frozen might, might take it. He's all so, right. Bet so all your like, card packs on frozen. You heard seven. Yep. Yep. That's I'm, I'm not in this tournament, so he's got a chance. Well, <laughs> good kidding. thing, because last tournament you were in, you finished last. So I didn't necessarily finish last. A single elimination, I did not make it through the first round. Uh, you tied for last. I'm sorry. I tied for 25th out of 32. So <laughs> <laughs> did, did anyone finish lower than 25th? Uh, according to the thing, it was not alphabetical. There was four people below me. No, it wasn't that I did horrible. <laughs> Okay, dude, holy crap. Th- thanks, Mom. You so, made sure that I wasn't last place by naming you. So I was uh, almost almost pulled off a, a reverse sweep in, in the first round. Um, so I had the, the worst, this worst mulligans ever. Not, not like, sorry, not even mulligans. I just the worst opening hands. Uh, let's just give you an example of my Druid opening hand, which I was I, ironically the one I won. My opening hand was... <laughs> Was ultimate infestation, uh, coon, Malagos, and spreading plague. That's ten, ten, nine, and six cost cards. That you was got my ramp. opening like, hand. I thought that was a great opening hand for Druid. You got all that ramp. Yeah. If once I got to the end of the game, I was great. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, man, I wish I had those cards back. And I was facing off against a hunter. So that's also not cool because they have a lot of damage output. Um, so, anyways, I end up winning that one. Uh, and then I got to 100 mirror after that. So at that point in time, I was already two. So I brought it back to two one. Uh, and then uh, the hunter mirror match, I had it dead to rights. And I would not lie. I'm not lying when it, like if there was top decks in Magic, this guy owned both of them. Like he just he got exactly the kill command he needed. Uh, was first off he got flanking strike. That's exactly what he needed. And he got kill command the next time around. If he got him in reverse order, I still I won. If he he needed those two cards in that exact order, and he got them, that was it. And he had already used the other two. So there was only one copy of each, and we were only on, like, turn eight. It's uncanny that he pulled that off. And even so he was just like, career, no one should pick you as their champion. Oh, no. Man, I had it. I had him. Because that, <laughs> that was the Hunter Mirror, and then the next one was he had to go against uh, my mage, uh, and I would have torn through that Hunter. Like, it would just it would have been fine. But nope, I, didn't I make it. Didn't make excuses. it. No, nope. but excuses. My mage. Ugh, we won't talk about how how draws <laughs> went on that match. Holy crap! Anyways. Oh man, yeah. So that's the HCT and seventh budding esports career, all summed up in yeah. ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't listen. All to right, me we're going to mage decks is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, definitely not. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be joined by Jules Scott to talk about the uh, upcoming HGC season. <laughs> Yeah. 
And we're back, and we are joined, as promised, by Jewel Scott. Not that I promise people before the break that don't show up after the break, but like you're here regardless. So welcome back to the show. I showed up. I showed up. I mean, that's that's the thing you got to give it, is I showed up. <laughs> yes, yes. I think the HGC needs that award. Well, and they showed up. They're getting it. It's coming back. <laughs> Friday, two days from now from this recording, it's coming back. So I guess they're going to be on the show up list. I know. It's crazy. Know. It's crazy. And we have some... Mm-hmm power rankings to talk about which you're which you're a little you're you're a little triggered i think like i don't know that jules ever gets fully triggered but you are as triggered as i've ever seen you by this amazing um i'm using air quotes here media poll um (laughs) that has the power rankings for the hgc you want to uh talk to us a bit about this highly scientific study of the uh, power of the hgc squads Yes. Well, let me tell you this. I went down the the rabbit hole of Google to kind of search out what people were saying about the current season of HGC. And I came across this article on heroeshearth.com. Um, and it was a polling of a handful of of basically bloggers and people who do different. Okay, whatever. And <laughs> um, Brian said that. I did not. But their information actually was kind of like. It was good. It was like these guys gave their rankings to all the teams in NA and EU. And I'm going to cover uh, NA because that's my focus and my love. Um, they ranked Team 12, formerly of uh, Roll20 Esports, as number one. And Tempo Storm, Team Freedom, Gale Force in the two, three, and four spots. Um, five, Heroes Hearth Esports. Six, Space, Space Station Gaming. Seven, Old Gods, which just got their own new... They got a sponsor. Um, So now they are Simplicity. And finally, LFM Esports. So that's the ranking that they gave as a a whole. Um, I'm a little triggered by the Team 12 thing, though. Really? Yeah, I am. Because the Team 12, that was Roll20. That was my team before. I really, really liked them. But they lost... Um, they they lost Glaurung to go to Tempo Storm, which I believe was the crux of why that team was so successful. And and then they lost their sponsor. Some drama there. We talked about that already. Um, the team itself in this current format had uh they they went straight to the invitation at China Gold League and they did kind of poorly. Like they came in seventh place out of eight. And okay, that that seems right. like a good. They didn't finish last. They didn't finish. (laughs) I'm trying here. I'm really trying. But why would you put them at the top of NA? Like, I, that just blows my mind. It didn't really make any sense. Now, they were a brand new roster when they went to China Gold Club. I get it. But they're still a brand new roster, right? Like, that doesn't fix all their problems. They're three originals and two new players. Um, uh, so they've got now, instead of, uh, instead of having, their their core it's it, they've got the best tank one of the best tanks in the league i got i got to say they're keeping him um justing is one of the best tanks in the league and he stays and i can understand why people would call that a really good team but i don't understand how i'm a tempo storm junkie at this point because of the roster that they've put together i think that they're going to blow the blow team 12 out of the water that's my thought See, if only you were considered part of the media, Jules, you you could have turned you could have turned this power ranking around. So, I guess. 
So how do you feel about the rest of it? I mean, we talked a little bit in the pre-show, like spe- speaking specifically of old gods, that they might actually turn out to be ranked a little bit lower than they deserve to be or may end up being as far as like the quality of the team goes. Well, the problem with this team is that it is, I mean, I would say that they have the caliber of player to be a really strong team. That team is made up of Hosty, Airho, K1 Pro, King Caffeine, and Zuna. But there's like, okay, so K1 Pro, King Caffeine, those guys were like old Cloud9 guys who won the world championship in, in, in 2015. But they're like, they haven't done anything since then. And they kind of have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, I gotta say. I think Airho, he's a drama magnet. <laughs> he has problems. He's had issues with with ego. Uh, Zuna has had problems with ego. And so I, I, they're very talented players. But if these guys cannot gel as a team because they can't get their egos in check, they're gonna end up in seventh place, place like these, uh, like this poll says, in my opinion. It's maybe a good bet, though, right? Because people might be underestimating them. Not that I don't know that people bet on the HTC. (laughs) Let's talk about Gale Force Esports, because when we were doing our previews of the season and we were looking at the rosters, you and I talked quite a bit about where this team could possibly end up. We obviously have the Michael Udall factor and that whole drama. Like Four seemed like a good place for them. Is is this where they belong, or are, are we still like, I don't know, they just feel like always the underachieving squad. Yeah, I feel like they're going to sit solidly in the center of the pack. Um, this is to me, I call them a wild card team at this point in this current iteration because they have a ton of talented players, but these all these guys also need to be able to work together and avoid ego clashes. But if they can play to their strengths, they now have both Fury and B Kid, who are some of the best tanks in the league, and if they can perform up to the level that they have, and if Big Impact can be their strong DPS carry like he's been for other teams. They could really be in contention. But again, these are also ego issues on this team that could really conflict. I I agree with them. I would put them in the middle, right in the middle. So let's do this then. So you are now part of the media. I have anointed you part of the media. You rank these teams. So how does this shake out? Okay. I'm actually putting, I'm going to say Tempo Storm number one. I'm going to put Team Freedom number two because they did really well at BlizzCon. There was just stuff there that really had some potential. And if they shape what they had and make it better with their new roster, I can't even imagine what they're going to do. Team 12, number three, Heroes Hearth Esports. I want them at number four um, because I like this roster. I like these guys. They they fought their way up through the open division. They're made up out of um, actually there's three of the five are former HGC players that lost their spots on their teams and had to be relegated to the open division and fight their way back in. So they're hungry. They know what it takes to win. And I like this roster. I especially like Crowan on that team. So I would say number four, um, Gale Force, number five, um, Simplicity slash Old Gods, number six, Space Station, seven, LFM Esports, eight. That's my ranking. All right. Well, it's now officially on the record, so now people control you when you get it wrong. Can someone write that down for me? (laughs) (laughs) You go on another show and you give a completely different list, and they're like, Jules can't even make up her mind. This is why she's not in the media. God, (laughs) keep that stuff written down. 
such a I'm on such a non media. Non media, you blogger. Just a seriously. <laughs> so this isn't the only news. We also got the f- much ballyhooed changes to the caster roster, which is mm. equally as interesting because the HGC fans got a little up in arms, and and I have to say, not in a way in which I predicted. So. The casting team for NA will now be, I, guess, I don't want to say anchored is the right term, but Jay Howe will be the consistent through both phases with yep. Gilly on phase one, correct? And Dread right. on phase two, partnering with Jay Howe. Now, if you read a lot of Reddits, which I've spent a good amount of time reading around the HGC, up to this, there was a lot of, I don't want to say hate's probably a strong word, but people had some complaints about the, the uh, what are they called, the dreadweed? Is that what we're dread calling weed. the dreadweed? Um, being a little too meme being a little too inside jokey. But you'd never know that because people instantly came to their defense when they got split up as part of this new talent roster. What, what are your thoughts on this? We don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the casting team, but I feel like this has been one of the most consistent parts of the HGC is the dreadweed combo, and we are losing that this season. Yeah, honestly, it seems like it. Well, the reaction from Reddit just surprised the heck out of both of us. Um, Brian and I were kind of talking about this as it unfolded yesterday, and it was like we expected people to be like, good, we didn't want them anyway. And we've got a bunch of people saying, I'm not going to listen or watch this anymore because they were the only reason why I was actually watching NAHGC. So, lol. And <laughs> it just makes no sense to me at all why that commentary, you know. Yes, Reddit is Reddit, but um, the 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 struggle that I have with this is that I I I really like Jay Howe, and I've seen him work with with Dreadnought. I've seen him work with Gillyweed, and they're good. It's a good combination, and I'm actually all for let's break up some of these groupings so it's not this constant caster team every week. Uh, that's why I love the the big events where they're just doing caster rotations yep. throughout the whole thing. Um, and we've seen this a lot with the Overwatch League, and it worked, it's worked really yeah. well. In EU, we have um, we've got Kaldor and Trixler staying together as the team for commentating on EU. I mean, their advantage is that they can study these teams to the nth degree. They've seen every single game, so their knowledge base is phenomenal. But at the same time, for like, I like variety. I like different caster views. I like yep. different the way people like. Even when uh, last year, when we didn't get Caldor because of his visa issues, and Kalaris was in there for the EU system, it was nice to have that break of the two different caster types yep. with Trixler. So, I'm all in favor of this. Uh, Reddit apparently lost their mind again, but yep. that's typical. <laughs> so. <laughs> Reddit, Reddit would have been mad no matter what. They got mad, and apparently they also decided to speculate the reasons why is that there was a dread, a, a, a dreadnought baby or a gilly, a dread yes, baby. Yes, because <laughs> apparently, yes, apparently, gillyweed is now pregnant, which made zero sense because people were like, "Wait, but then why does dread need to go off first? Like, I know it was like, "What are you doing, Reddit?" So yeah, this is what that's where you just have to say. We take this with the grainiest of grains of salt. It's a tiny, <laughs> tiny grain of salt, but yes. man, Reddit be Reddit. Another piece of news that came out this week as well that we talked about is the HGC Open Division now being yes. run as a partnership with Heroes Hype, which kind of came out of nowhere. And I was surprised by this because Blizzard has been 
pretty selective about the partners that they have chosen to work with across all their games when it comes to esports yeah. and have shut the door pretty quickly on ones that they perf- that they you know perceive to not be professional and heroes hype doesn't necessarily come with the greatest of reputations especially when you talk about the staff involved Sure. Um, what it sounds like to me in the research that I had done prior to the show is that Heroes Hype has been trying for this as part of their goal since the beginning. And they've tried and tried and been turned down, but that they actually you know, took feedback, made the changes that they needed to, made the infrastructure changes that they needed to, to be well enough regarded to be able to do this. Um, I honestly don't know a ton about the way that Heroes Hype is organized. Um, it was, this was actually a real surprise to me to see them pick this up, but they're, I want to see what they can do. Cause last, the last ones that did this was Gosu gamers and they didn't do a very good job. So, no. um, and it has kind of made the open division, I don't say a joke, but like, it certainly has not lived up to the expectations that they set forth for how the open division was going to play into the overall HGC. Like we've talked about this in the past where like yeah. the team coming in from the open division is almost a joke half the time because we don't think they're going to actually make it to competing in the HGC by the time the season swings around. Yeah, it fe- it always felt the I didn't even watch half of the open division games last year because it felt like the Wild West. It was poorly run. There wasn't a really good sense of who was casting when, even though they had st- like specific casters that they put aside to do this, which was Jay Howe and Solid Jake last year. Then there were like other people picking up games on their streams, but nobody knew where they were. You had to watch Twitter to see who was casting what <laughs> game, and you know. As a fan, that's a bunch of BS. You want to yep. be able to see what the games are. And especially if you've like started to attach yourself to a certain team, like you want to follow them through the bracket. Tell us who's casting it if you're giving it to multiple casters. Yep. And 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 set that aside as a this is the track that this group is following, this is the track that this group is following. It it still felt like the old like wild west of when hgc or before hgc yeah when it was just heroes like, of the storm esports random everywhere yeah like you know hey we're gonna play some games and these people decided hey do you want to cast tonight like that's what it happened i got a call so, actually they were like hey we need you to sub in really quick like can you put it on your stream you have like 30 followers i'm like yes yeah. Yeah. And it's it's tough when you're selling that story, right? Like they even in the press release about this, they talk about the open division and the crucible and the path to the HGC and it doesn't really work when it falls apart at like out of the gate. And that's yeah. that really describes in my opinion the open division almost since the advent of the HGC. This has just kind of been this thing that is clearly not figured out. Blizzard does not have the time or the wants, quite frankly, to put the effort in as an individual organization, which is why they have been farming it out. So hopefully this goes better than it did with Gosu. I, I don't have super high hopes, but I also think it's tough, right? Because yeah. the talent available in the HGC, we've talked about before, like that line is drawn pretty high up. Like you get below like team four and five in the HGC and you're already struggling to put together a full squad of talented people, which means the open division is always going to struggle from a talent pool and a dedication standpoint to begin with, because there's not a lot of money there. And you already know that like the gap between you and the top HGC teams or the HGC teams period is, is high. So, and we throw in a poorly run tournament and organization. And that just kind of like, it's a recipe for disaster. And it kind of, feel like that's what the open division has been up to this point yeah and there in the past there's been issues with you know people not understanding tournament rules and you know trying to like teams that got disqualified because someone dc'd and you know things like that where it needs to be 
someone who knows what they're doing. They know their stuff. Um, so I'm hoping that's what Heroes Hype is going to become for this because it needs it. I, as a rabid HTC fan, I haven't given a crap about the open division since it started. Yep. And like, I want oh, to who's that. this team? Where did they come from? Oh, they were in the open yeah. division. Or usually one or two of the players were in the open division that then got plucked away to an actual org and then that team fell apart. Yeah, or it was just literally me watching the Crucible because I didn't and I didn't see anything leading up to the point where they actually got to the Crucible, and I don't even know who these players are, which sucks because that's not a story. Nope. You know, they do such a better job with these amateur teams when it comes to Heroes of the Dorm that it could be done very much like that. Exactly. Like, and they're far more like the whole goal, whether it actually comes true or not, is they're supposed to be far more likely to have a path to the HGC than Heroes of the Dorm players are right hasn't worked out that way it has not worked out that way so things are kicking off on friday the 19th but i think in my opinion saturday is the day that you want to tune in because that's when we get tempo storm and you're apparently you know dark horse team heroes hearth esports uh facing off that seems to be the matchup of the weekend Yes, and I'm going to be glued to my uh, to my browser window for that one because that's the team and the game that I really, really want to see. Um, I will be kind of sleeper rooting for, for Heroes Hearth Esports because I like those guys. I think that they've got a real shot. I'd love to see them come up and just kick it. You know, like they, they came out of the open division and they kicked butt. So let's do this. Do it's this. Tr- finally a chance to Underdog. prove that the open division is worth something. All the crap we just yes. gave. I know. Yeah, I love um, it. We'll see how it plays out. Jules, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You can check out Jules on Twitter at JulesRPG. Of course, she is on the Convert to Raid podcast, Torn Think Tank. And now I hear you're on another esports podcast, which mm. I'm a little upset about. We won't talk about that at the moment. But okay. yes, you can check her out on Battle.net <laughs> Sports as well, which is, you know, you also talk about the HGC on there. So if you want more in depth uh, analysis, you can go to that other esports podcast. <laughs> it's part of convert to raid it's it's part of the family it's yeah. part of the family <laughs> jules thank you so much for joining us we are going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to be joined by alex magdalito who's going to talk to us about a little bit of league of legends <laughs> And we're back, and it is time to talk a little League of Legends. We have not had a chance to talk League of Legends in quite a while, like it seems. It's been like a month or so. And because we're talking League of Legends, that means we are talking to our best friend, Alex Magdalino, over at Bleach Report Esports. Alex, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. You guys have been missed in, in your, your month-long break, but I'm happy to be back to talk League of Legends with you guys. You just really wanted to hear us complain about Overwatch League for like four more weeks. Like, get it out of our <laughs> system before you guys, time. you guys do a great job. How can I say? Suck enough will get you everywhere, Alex. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. If you want to get on the show, folks, take notes from Alex. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Overwatch League. We are here to talk about the NALCS, which is kicking back off this weekend. And it's our favorite time of the year because this is your last chance to make wildly ridiculous predictions before you actually have to back them up. So why don't we start with... Who's looking strong? We have a much different landscape this season than we have had previous seasons, obviously, with all the franchising, the new organizations coming in. There was quite a bit of roster apocalypse, as we talked about before we headed to the break. What are your thoughts? Who should we really be looking out for? 
It's it's funny that you say that we have like sort of a whole new landscape for the NALCS, and it's kind of true in terms of like the rosters. Like really, only like at least every org has kept at least like three players, so like mostly all new. Um, but even then, that, when you think about the players that are going to be at the top in terms of orgs, it's it's going to be like right now TSM, Team Liquid, and CLG. Um, just you know. I guess the surprising thing is that Team Liquid is now in the conversation, and a lot of people are are either considering them the strongest team coming into the league or the second strongest team. Um, and that's yeah, it's strange because Team Liquid's always you know the forever fourth meme. But <laughs> when you basically just redo Immortals and CLG 2.0, it's like it's kind of hard not to to put them in discussion. So. I think was just a start to get out of the way. I think you're going to be looking at TSM and Team Liquid battling at the top. Um, TSM, a lot of people are predicting, are going to have a slower start, um, but a higher skill ceiling just because of all the changes. Um, I, I think a lot of people thought that the the Sven and Mithy was either at worst a sidestep and at best an upgrade for the team but it's still a a change that's going to take time to adapt um coach song is going to be need time to develop players and when you're talking about developing players you're going to have mike young who is the biggest question mark probably in the entire league because his success and his his form sort of implies TSM's overall form. It indicates how well they're going to do. Um, so I, I have them I have them at the end of the at the end of this all. My early prediction for them is that they're probably going to be in playoffs in the finals. It's gonna be the classic TSM, but it's gonna take a little bit of time to get there. Um, meanwhile Team Liquid is I think they're gonna come straight out of the gate just ready to make a name and i mean they kind of deserve it they made an incredible roster they have like security for they're kind of future proof with impact becoming a any resident next year um so yeah they're they're i think they're just going to be a dominant team i wouldn't be surprised if they're in the you know one and two spot throughout the league or throughout the run of the split and then right in playoffs in uh the finals clg is a little bit of a surprise um and I think it could go one of two ways. I think they are going to be a playoff contender because they did, like, Rainover and Biofrost are categorically upgrades mechanically to Rain, or to Omar God and Aphromoo. But Aphromoo being such, like, he was CLG and him being such a vital part of not only the brand, but also just that team and his shot calling ability and his leading ability. Like you're gonna, uh, the hole is gonna be felt there, and um, I don't think that they are gonna be worse by any means, but they're not going to. It's gonna take time. <clears throat> so this is gonna be another one of those situations where we spend the entire, you know, let's say the first half exactly. of the spring split, like discussing how TSM is not living up to expectations and they've got ways to go. Just like we, I mean, this is how we started out the previous year, right? Like this past yeah. season, we're like, oh, it's not going so well. Oh, this may be the year that it doesn't happen. And then guess what? We're right back at the end of the season looking at it and going, okay, TSM still the best in North America. And this, like you said, I think overall they may be a better team at the end of this season than they were at the end of last season with the upgrades that they've made. 
I think I think a lot of people are, are probably thinking that as well. Um, you know, I mean, it's honestly a meme at this point how much TSM says they're they're not thinking about North America. They're thinking about <laughs> their larger impact on the world stage. Yep. And by impact, meaning like any sort of life, signs of life on the world stage. Um, <laughs> the bar is low. Yeah. So... It, it, yeah, it's a bit of a meme at this point, but I think you're. I think you're right. I think it's just, it's hard to say that this team, at the end of spring split, is like anything but like the highest potential and highest ceiling that TSM has ever had, just because of the the components. I think what is interesting about Team Liquid to me is this is very much smells like Manchester City when they started splashing money around in the Premier League. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to go as smooth as everyone hopes it will. But I think they are building a squad and an organization that may finally, for quite frankly, get their shit together, which has been something just Team Liquid in general has had problems with. And if they get their shit together, they could be another TSM in North America and finally give... It's not... See, my thing with North America is it's not just about TSM. It tends to hinge on that because they're the only ones who look like they could have any shot at making a mark at Worlds and then fail miserably. But if we mm-hmm. can finally get a second team in the equation that is yeah. there on purpose. I always felt like Cloud9, we looked at Cloud9 we're like, oh, well, they managed to do better than TSM who choked. But not necessarily like they're another strong contender that has a shot at Worlds when we go in and start speaking about Worlds. This could be Team Liquid at this point. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right about them one being a sort of Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain like sort of team where you're just like throwing money at up at the at the problem the problem being like not being playoff relevant um so i think that team liquids has certainly done that i think people are thinking that it's going to work a lot better on paper just because of the already like developed synergies you have there with like the immortals core and then the old clg core with um uh double lifts uh poe belter and x smithy um, but you're right. Like that, that could totally be a like a springboard for them to jump off of straight at the at the beginning of the season. They've had a lot of time to de- uh, develop um, other like outside or like existing uh, synergies because they've been boot camping in Korea. But they're still like Ole is still like a big big question mark. Yeah, he had like a great season, but like he's going to need to impress a lot more for for like what you said. Team Liquid to really, really be a like another NA team on the world stage who gives NA a bigger identity and a bigger presence than just you know TSM who can who all the all the pressure and weight is on to perform because they've always been there. Exactly. Now, when we previewed the roster changes, I think the conclusion we came away with is that North America overall feels stronger this year than they do last year. But that being said, there's still some weak squads and some ones that made some questionable moves or maybe kind of had to clean up some scraps. Like, who do you think is going to struggle to make any sort of mark this split? Um, Well, I think you just have to start, like, with the people who are probably going to be at the bottom of the league, and that's Golden Guardians and Optic Gaming. Um, Golden Guardians, because... Outside of high, that team is just seems so raw in terms of talent. 
And yeah, High High has worked wonders before, and I certainly think that like High is the person that you want on a team of a bunch of young North American players. So I kind of see their philosophy behind it, but it's hard to expect anything from them. It's just that's the, that's a plain simple fact. With Optic Gaming, it's even more of a clusterfuck. It's just like I have no idea. Like when I when I used to write power rankings for Bleach Report. I have this tier, and every single time I'd just be like, I don't know how what to write about this team because I don't know how they win. Like, I don't know how much more to say than that they just can't win. The the, the pieces of the puzzle do are completely different puzzles. So, like, with Zig, Akkadian, Power of Evil, Arrow, and Lemonation on Optic Gaming, I just don't understand what that team does. Like, what were they all. built to do? Like, what what was the vision when they put this roster together? Like, Zig has, you know, he's just a role, like, it's bad to say, but he's just a role player. And he 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 does it well, and he's happy to do it, but I, I don't see anything there. Acadian had a good, um, like, rookie split, but all of last split, or all of spring and summer last split, he didn't live up to that same, like, rookie form. And what's more, he didn't really play that much for reasons I don't think anyone is really clear um about power of evil is just like yes he is bjergsen's curse but also last season in eu he wasn't one of the like hallmark mid laners um he just really for some reason can shit on bjergsen and then arrow <laughs> and lemonation are arrows great and lemonation i don't know a little bit past his prime but both of them if anything when you look at their form they're both super weak in the laning phase so i just don't know what to like expect from them to loot but to lose lane every single time then and then just create this sort of vacuum out that on that side of the map that it's just hard to get past and like what's sort of worse is that like i don't know anything about their coach at least with golden guardians you have loco doco who has a history of working with like young players and you know um he is an all right coach in the scene i'd say maybe a little bit you know, good to great. Um, but Optic just has like a former French caster and who doesn't really have any experience outside of that. I don't know. It just seems like an amalgamation and I don't have really any high hopes for either of those teams. I think they're going to, they're the clearest standouts to be at the bottom. I, I really hope that they're locked into some pretty bulletproof contracts, especially with the Golden Guardians. Like this is a pretty large investment for what is probably going to be a pretty abysmal season. And I, and you know, yay, we get the green wall and League of Legends, and that's exciting for, from an optic standpoint. But that only gets you so far, right? Like when that team just starts failing miserably, like it doesn't matter how great the fans are. It, yeah, it's, it's the green wall is truly going to be tested, I think, in ways that they've never been tested, and I'm sure. I don't want to ever doubt that the power of that wall because they are crazy. Um, but I don't think they've ever had to experience sort of a, a roster like this messed up <laughs> in any of their in any of their previous like um, any of the org's previous ventures into different esports. So, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> get, get ready, Green Wall. You're, you're going to have tested. unshakable faith. Yes, or a lot of alcohol, one or the other. Yeah, drink your way through it. So, who's the dark horse here? Who? What is the team that we're not talking about, or that we are talking about that we're not putting up in that top rank that could really surprise us? That could come out of there, and at least at the beginning of the split, take advantage of maybe some of the instability or the learning curve that some of the teams like TSM have to go through. 
I'm glad you asked because I feel like a lot of people are underrating this team, and I've I've been singing not singing their praises, but just like sort of like watching everyone sort of disregard them. And I think it's Clutch Gaming. I think they've done a really really good job in creating a lineup that is it's I mean essentially they're just NV 2.0. It's like Lyra, Apollo, and Hakuho who have all played together, and they, like, got Febivin, who is a great, like, in, in the terms of, like, the EU mid laners that are imported, Febivin and, and um, Power of Evil, like, Febivin really has gone under the radar. He's been unscathed by Reddit in ways that Power of Euros hasn't, but that was Power of Evil's own fault. Um, and I think he's just, I think he's a really good mid laner. I think he's very self-sufficient. He doesn't need, um, he doesn't need another like sort of Lyra to constantly play around him. I think that Lyra playing around him certainly is will help him. Um, and then they have Solo, who actually is pretty good considering his experience in the Challenger League. Um, I think that they're they're. I don't think that they're going to be you know a consistent world beater in terms of like beat, taking Team Liquid and TSM's number every single time. But I think they're a really good playoff team. And I think that they can build on the sort of success that Envy has had in the last season, in the last spring and um, summer split, where they like finally reached playoffs. They became like a more consistent playoff team, and um, yeah, they got like three would in those. But I think that I think that they're they're good. Lyra won't have to be in an org where he's also not only just starting jungler, like the ace for the team who everyone wants to play around and play through and then also the coach which was a very weird setup for envious uh i think that they they have the the potential to to be the dark horse interesting i I, i'm gonna hold you to that this is recorded by the way (laughs) i i feel i feel good about them i really do and it's surprising because i think out of any of the nba franchises that got into the nlcs i think they've done the best job they've really done their homework in building a roster that will do well and that they can grow off of. And it was one of the quietest ones, right? Like we heard all yeah. about the Cavs, all about the Warriors, and then like oh, and the Rockets. Like no one That's... really talked about it, but like you said, they've silently built one of the better squads, especially out of the NBA franchises. Yeah, uh, I mean, and like we talked about, Golden Guardians, a hundred thieves. Like they're also, I think, have a potential to be sort of a, a dark horse here. But I think it really depends on. Um, what, like they have really big question marks in Medios and Ryu and Afrimu. Um, I think all three have shown sort of throughout their careers moments of them just not caring as much. Really, their, their right. competitive spirit like dies out a little. Um, and maybe maybe them playing all together and playing again, maybe playing with somebody like someday who and like under Prawley who have. I mean, I consider them to be some of the. At least, probably one of the one of the best coaches in Western League of Legends, and then someday, obviously, an incredible top laner. Maybe they'll be rejuvenated. Um, but I think that what separates, you know, the Hundred Thieves from Clutch Gaming is just that it, they've been silently dismissed, I guess, yep. and just put, dismissed from the conversation. Um, and so the, I feel like they have no, they have no expectations. They're just going to play their game, and I, I think that that'll be good. They'll surprise some people. It may not be able to something that carries them through the entire year, but it could be a surprise, at least early on in the spring split. Yeah. 
So, put you on the spot. We got a couple minutes left. Who wins the spring split? Is it still TSM? Is that um, where you put your money? Y- um, so, yeah. Uh, Biases I, aside. I think, I mean, it's hard not to bet on anyone but TSM just because, I mean, you can bet on Team Liquid, but I'm going to bet on Team Semiloid. Um, I just think that they, that not only is their roster going to be gr- good at the beginning of the split, maybe not great. They're not, I think, you know, in, in the first match between, opener match between Team Liquid and Team Solomid, I think Team Liquid probably will win. Um, but I think they have the potential to scale the hardest. And under Song and Less Boy, I think that they have, and under Song and Less Boy, and with the talent they have, there should be no meta, and there should be a just a scaling understanding of macro that they become some sort of like juggernaut. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll see how it plays out. As always, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. You can check out more of Alex's stuff on Twitter at AMAGS or, of course, BR Esports on Instagram and BR Esports underscore um, on the Twitters. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will wrap things up. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's episode. As always, you can catch us every Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday. I don't one of those days. We're on one of those uh, days with a day at the end. Yes. Yes, yes. We release once a week at some point. Uh, you can catch us on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and, of course, our site and RSS feed at nerfthis.gg. As always, we appreciate them reviews over on iTunes. Leave us five stars. Leave us a comment. We always appreciate it. Um, you can check us out on our Discord server, which is at nerfthis.gg slash Discord. You can join and you can tell Seven that you hate his Hearthstone picks or try to fix his poor mage deck, whichever you prefer, you can do so. Um, and you can uh, check us out on our social channels at Facebook and Instagram at nerfthisgg and on the Twitters at nerfthiscrew. And as always, you can use that archaic email thing at show at nerfthis.gg. Um, are you gonna are you gonna re-enter any more Hearthstone tournaments? Uh, you you uh, gonna try to go and see if you can best your last place finish? Yeah, I think I might jump in some Strivewire stuff this next week. I, I've got the bug. I've got the bug to start playing some more. So the future of Hearthstone esports, right here. <laughs> no, not even close. But I'll enjoy <laughs> myself. That's for certain. Awesome. Well, that's gonna do it. We will see everybody next week for yet another episode of Nerf This. <laughs> I'm not afraid of